series here that is really this group of verses in Colossians on relationships. And the, the pivotal verse that we're using in this, the key verse for this series is Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is about, as we looked at last week, loving each other here as in the way that we react with each other. You know, the, the home also is just a place of constant reaction. And as we react to one another, we are called to do this in the name of Christ. We're looking today at how do we love one another in the church in being proactive in our love? And we'll be looking in the coming weeks at the family relationships. How do we, we worship Christ in the way that we treat one another as a family? And so these are these verses on relationships that use this verse 17 really as a pivotal place for that. We looked at the fact that worship you could define worship as the appropriate response to what God reveals about himself. Uh, it's, it's obvious to see that as we sing, how great is our God. We're responding to the greatness that he has revealed that he is. He's revealed to us how great he is. He's revealed to us in his word how awesome he is. And we're responding by that to that by worshiping him with our praise. In the same way, life worship is worshiping him with our life. It's taking him and interacting with those in our lives in a way that pleases him, in a way that's appropriate um, for what he is worthy of. And that's why it's life worship. We're, we're responding in a way that he is worthy of in our relationships. Um, was tax season a time of life worship for you? Did you act with integrity? And this is a good example of life worship. You know, Christ himself said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. <laughs> and so to act with integrity during tax season is honestly life worship. We do that to honor Christ. We do that to honor God. Um, he says, what, in whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it in the name of Christ. And basically this is whatever you do, everything that you do, everything that is done, we should move in a direction of doing this in a way that is, worships Christ. We talked about the fact that when he talks about doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is identification with him. We talked about the fact that if I tell my kids, remember, you're a bowman, it's saying wherever you go, you're identified with being a bowman and what you do is going to be, the bowmans are going to be identified with that. Your name is identification. But also, it's, it carries an authority. If I sign a check with my name, the person can then take it to the bank 
And that check, because it has my name on it, my signature on it, they have the authority to withdraw those funds. It's as if I am standing there with them. And putting your name on something causes it to carry the authority. Christ has put his name on us as Christians, as little Christs. And we are to look at everything that we do as being carrying his authority. Uh, this does not mean that I expect everyone to treat me as if I were Christ. This does not mean that I expect that everything I do should be accepted as if Christ were doing it. This means that everything I do, I should be asking myself, is this what Christ would do? Because I carry his name. And I'm to do everything that I do in his name. It kind of makes that old uh, bracelet WWJD or what would Jesus do carry a little bit more significance because we're called to do everything in his authority, not in, the, not in our authority. So last week we looked at how this plays out in our relationships with the church. From verses 12 through 15, we looked at the fact that Christ is worshipped as we lovingly react to each other. We looked at the fact that we should be putting on hearts of compassion and patience and that this, what this should display is forgiveness toward one another. And the motive that this should have is one from love. That everything that we should do should be held together with love. And he summed this up by saying, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And, and he's describing here the fact that our relationships with each other should be ruled by the peace that we now have with God because of our gospel relationship with God. The relationships that we have with each other should be impacted by the fact that our lives have been impacted by this peace that has come between us and the Father. And so he sums that up with, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts for you have been called to peace. So we're moving now into Colossians 3.16. We're just looking at one verse today. We're not going to be looking at how long can JD drag out one verse, but I expect it'll probably be a little bit shorter than the hour that I've been going. But it's titled, Gospel, Make Yourself at Home. Gospel, Make Yourself at Home. And this comes directly from the command here. Uh, my sister spent, uh, my sister has a friend who spent some time in Scotland as a missionary. As a, as a, in her young, early 20s, she spent some time in Scotland as a missionary and she walked into this huge cathedral that seated like 400 people. And, but the church in Scotland is, is um, you know, kind of dying. And typically they have maybe 12 to 15 people there to worship on a Sunday morning. And so this friend of my sister's went and found a spot and, and sat in a particular seat. And a little bit into the service, she felt a tap on her shoulder. And she looked over and it was this little old lady and the lady said, pardon me, you're in my seat. 
spots for 400 people. And out of the 15 places she could sit in, she had sat in this lady's seat. Well, when we come together, there should be things that that we come having been impacted by, having been impacted by God's word, having been impacted by our relationship with God, that should impact then our relationships with each other. And that's what this verse is looking at this morning. And, and maybe something like somebody being in our seat uh, shouldn't throw us off or shouldn't throw off that relationship or that opportunity to make a friend, maybe. So verse 16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now n- recall verse 15 began with, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he goes into, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So this is a verse that we're looking at this morning. Jay, can I ask you, do you think you could see if that little clip is in that drawer? It wasn't on there. I thought I didn't need it, but I'm realizing that I do. Um... I, when I would teach as a, as a youth pastor, I would teach the same way that I teach here, using slides and as we move through the, thank you very much, as we move through the slide and the, pa- the passage, I would want to highlight expositional teaching. And that's what we do as we move through this. We're highlighting expositional teaching, meaning we're highlighting the fact that the ideas that I'm communicating to you come from this passage. They expose the passage. My desire is that the main points that I make to you are the main points that the passage is making. And and so as a part of that, I, I highlight the passage as we're moving through it. Right? You guys are familiar with this. Well, um... We had a parents' night, and so I was just kind of where um, some of the teenagers' parents would come and go be a part of youth group with their kids, and they would be able to see, this is what we do, this is how we teach, this is what, you know, the night is like, and, and, and things like that. And I was talking with one of the parents after that, and he was saying, boy, I, you know, I really enjoyed it. He said, I, I really uh, thought that, um, you know, it was a, it was a good time. I, and he said, I really, really appreciated the way you teach. I was, it was really easy for me to pay attention, and um, I could follow along really well. I was like, oh, that's great. And he just kind of kept talking, and, and he said, I really appreciate, too, how you keep Jesus' words in red. <laughs> I don't think I was even te- teaching out of the Gospels. But, but his point was, you know, well, what was revealed to me is he really wasn't paying attention at all to what was up on the screen. <laughs> you know, because like what I do here, it's the same verse and the, the red part keeps kind of moving down it, you know, and highlighting different parts. But, so he was kind of out in la-la land somewhere, just noticed some of the words are white and some of them are red. That's all I got to, you know, know, I guess. But, you know... He was taking that from this idea that, that in some of our Bibles, the words of Jesus are in red. And I, and I can appreciate that. 
um, what I'll find myself underlining usually as I read, right now I'm reading through the Gospel of John, what I'll find myself underlining usually are usually statements made by Christ about himself or about the Father, about our relationship with God and things like that. And that's really valuable. I don't think necessarily, though, it's that important that the words of Jesus are in red. I hope that's not sacrilegious for any of you guys. What's important is that we pay attention to the words of God. And so when he talks here about let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, we're going to explain a little bit of the fact that this is talking about the whole of Scripture. But the central idea of our passage together first I want to communicate is Christ is worshipped as God's truth reigns among us. And you'll understand here in a minute why, even though he says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, that I think this gives greater significance to the fact that all of God's truth is about Christ. And so really the big idea here is Christ is worshipped as God's truth reigns among us as a congregation, as God's truth reigns in our homes. So moving to our first idea here, coming from the the command, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The first idea here is that God's truth must reign. God's truth must reign. Now, Paul is writing to to the Colossian church and and he's communicating that each of them needed to know God's truth. Now, this is to counteract the the false teaching that the Colossians were dealing with was that only a select few would have this deeper wisdom that was available to them. And the, these, these false teachers were trying to draw the Colossians away from the body there, promising them, well, if you join up with us, you're going to go deeper into this knowledge. And so God, Paul was communicating to them that in each of you, you need to be letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So that's significant here in the context. But let's look at what he means by the word of Christ. Is this, like I was saying, does this mean we flip open and we look for the red letters, you know, and we concentrate on those. Okay, this is what I need to have dwell in me richly. It's not limited to the words spoken by Christ. Jesus himself prayed that the truth that he taught about the truth that was taught about him would spread. And, and it wasn't just his words. Uh, let me show you specifically what I'm talking about. In John 17, and I picked out here verses 8, 17, and 20, as a part of his prayer for his disciples, he says this, For I have given them the words that you, Father, have given me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Then he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word, Father, is truth. And Jesus has already said here that the words that he came and spoke were from the Father. And then verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the disciples' words. 
So Christ himself gave significance not just to his words, but actually explaining that his teachings were from the Father. And this was part of his submitting himself to the Father in that he taught what the Father told him to teach. And he also gives that authority on to those that had been with him, the disciples, and would teach of him. And so all this to say that when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he's not saying, okay, go and find especially Christ's words and concentrate on those. If you remember back in Colossians 1 verse 5, Paul describes the gospel as the word of truth. This would have been a great opportunity for him to describe the word of Christ. When he, says the, when he describes the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. And the hope that was laid up for them in heaven, if you recall from Colossians 1, was Christ himself. So, this terminology for the gospel or for God's word was, was uh, intermixed between the word of truth, the word of Christ, the word of God. And so we're not looking at something special here necessarily. But I want you to see though that the word of truth, God's word, is also the word of Christ. And what this, this idea of of Christ is not see we would say okay what are the words of JD and you think automatically well those are the words that JD speaks but what about someone speaking about JD those would also fit as words of JD and so what fits into this idea of the word of Christ is also all of the teachings that are about Christ the words which Christ spoke, but also the teachings about Christ. And if I could just say this, all of the scriptures are about Christ. All of the Old Testament is leading up to the coming of this Messiah, this Savior. We get his life from four different perspectives in the Gospels. And all of the epistles are looking back on this life of the Savior and what his person, his life, his death, and his resurrection means for us as his followers. So when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he's saying, let my gospel, let my truth, let my word, all of it, dwell in you richly. Again, this adds to what he says just prior to this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which was also pointing to their gospel relationship with God, that peace had come between us and God, and this should, dwell, should, should rule in our relationships with each other. I can't hold this against you. I should not hold this against you because my God does not hold against me the offense that I had with him. But also to look at any offense against us and to realize this was nailed to the cross along with my sins. And if I have faith in that death of Christ and his resurrection, I must believe also that what this person has done against me was paid for as well. And I have no right to hold it against him. And that's what it looks like for the peace of Christ to rule in our relationships with each other. 
And we're looking this morning at what does it look like for the word of Christ, the words about Christ and our relationship with God through him. What does it look like for it to dwell among us? So this command here of having it dwell among us is, is um, first of all, it's plural. Okay? It's talking about us. When we get together, it would be saying, let the word of Christ dwell in all y'all richly. And as we come together, what is there? What is it that we bring? What is it that we share? What is it that dictates and, and determines how we relate to each other? It's that the person of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, the work of Christ, the words about Christ should be lifted up, should affect our relationships with each other. It, it, should, it should dwell here within us. This is a command that the good news of Christ must dwell in us as Christ's body. The verb is the same as what we described earlier in Colossians where it says the fullness of God dwelled in Christ. And if you remember, we talked about that that term means it makes itself at home. That, that it was perfectly at home. The fullness of God was perfectly at home in Christ. And now we're called as a body to let the word of Christ, God's word, make itself at home among us. Um, to make yourself at home, when we say that, we're saying, you know, get something out of the fridge if you need it. You know, anything in the cupboards is ours. You know, we're saying a lot of times, if you're up early... Make yourself breakfast, you know. Uh, we should be letting the truth rearrange the furniture of our lives. Giving it full reign. It should be what dictates what we do together. It should be what dictates our relationships. Not, not the past you might have had with someone of the last 20 years. He's saying let the truth that has reigned for 6,000 years dictate what might have happened 20 years ago. It should reign over this year that we have together, this day that we have together, this moment, because Christ could come at any time. Um, a commentator named uh, K.S. Wiest says, the exhortation is to the effect that the Christian is to so yield himself to the word that there is a certain at-homeness of the word in his being. The word should be able to feel at home in his heart. The saints should give an, it unrestricted liberty in their life. And we should, as we gather together, remember this is plural, as we gather together, what we do together should be that the word of God, the gospel truth, has it at homeness. It, it dwells among us. It makes its home in what we do. Hebrews 4 describes the word of God as being sharp enough to cut between our thoughts and our intentions. You know, sometimes that's, that's important. Sometimes when we, when we want to do something in the church or maybe when we don't want to do something in the church, we need to know, well, what's my motivation here? What, what's my thoughts on this? And God's truth 
given full reign in our life, given full reign in our activity, it will help us to understand. He will convict us. He will direct us. He will show us individually, you know, what's my motivation? It will cut between the thoughts and the motives of the heart. Nothing else can allow us to see that deeply, that clearly, that infinitely small in our lives as this. We're told to let it dwell richly, abundantly is the idea. Our lives should be overflowing with the truth. It should be impacting us in a way that nothing else is our primary motivation. Our relationship with God, what he's revealed about himself, the truth of his word should be overflowing in our time together for sure. With all the media at your fingertips, with what you can call up on your phone or on your laptop or your, your iPad or your computer, how often are you pulling out God's truth during your day, during your life? How often is that what you're pulling up? How often is that what you're concerned about, interested in, digging into? It, it, God's truth is not going to dwell among us as a congregation if it's not dwelling among us individually, if it's not at home, if it's not given the freedom, given the time to rearrange the furniture in our own lives. Would you describe it as ruling or, or being at home abundantly in your life? Um, dads, does God's word have its way in your home? Is it present in your home? Is it read? Is it shared? You know, it's up to us. It really is. It's not up to our wives. It's up to us to crack open God's word and to read it to our families. You know, I, I'm not a terrible success with this. You know, I, I shoot for doing this a few times a week and, and sometimes I hit it. Um, you know, we have some, some coloring books that my two boys will sit there and color, you know, that, that has to do with um, the passage of scripture that I'm reading. And, and I'll read through the scripture and we choose a, a translation that's easier for the younger ones to understand. And um, then we just kind of ask a couple questions and and there's a, a few comments that can be made. And, and sometimes it's as simple as that. But other times it's when it, the moment is tense. Or when the question is, well, you know, what, what should we do here? Then we have to stop and say, well, God's truth needs to be at home in this situation. Sometimes it's about saying, you know what, we need to just stop this and we need to seek what God has to say. Um, and we'll come back to this when we feel like we, we know, when we feel at peace with this idea that we, we are being guided by Him. It should be at home, in our homes. The idea is so that as we gather as a church body, we should come together with lives, with hearts, with families that are overflowing with God's truth. There's a quote that says, um, this book, speaking of the scriptures, will either keep you from sin 
or sin will keep you from this book. The Bible will keep us from sin or sin will keep us from the Bible. Where are you in those two options? Is God's word present? Is it dwelling in your homes? And is it keeping you more and more from sin? Or is sin keeping you from God's word? There's just two options there. Uh, One Sunday school teacher was was, um, teaching uh, children about the building of, of Solomon's temple. And, and at one point in the story, God's presence filled the temple. And she watched the kids just kind of lean forward and they're like getting excited and amazed. And she's like, wow, you know, they're, they're, this is awesome. They're concerned. They're, they're excited about that God was dwelling with men. And then she realized that, that they thought that she meant presence with a T filled the temple. And they were like, wow, now this is something we can get into. You know, can you imagine Christmas morning? Presents filling the family room? I want you to see this, folks, especially dads, as I speak directly to you. Not as, oh, this is such a responsibility. I want you to see this instead as the Colossian believers would have seen this, that we have the opportunity to to let God's word dwell, make its home, live within us, that we have the opportunity to let God's word make its home in our families. God never commands us to do something if he isn't planning to do it if we give him the chance. And I want to take you this for I want you to take this to know that if you give God's word the chance, if you give the truth the chance, maybe it's just a chapter a day. Maybe it's just sitting down as a family once a week and reading it. That he fills every void that he's given the opportunity to fill. See this as an opportunity. See this as a promise. See this as a desire that God wants to fill every space, that he wants to have full reign, that he wants to make changes, and that that he gives us the desire for those changes to happen. He's big enough and he's good enough to do this in a way that brings glory to him. and, And what brings glory to him the most is when our hearts are desiring for him to have that glory. The truth of Christ is also meant to focus on our time together. Let's not forget that. I, I appreciate the fact that I am welcomed to bring God's word to you. I appreciate finding a home here in Crawfordsville where I can preach, where I can bring God's word, where that's appreciated. I appreciate that being welcomed. I would do it whether you wanted it or not. But that's what God has given me the heart to do. And, and I appreciate that you have the heart to receive it. I want to say, and I, don't, I, I promise I won't do this too often, Glenn. 
Um, and I don't want to embarrass you. But, um, and I've shared this with Glenn. Um, sitting down with, with uh, a member here and just having breakfast, um, one thing that they shared was, you know, through the years, uh, we have seen this church or that church break apart or, or we've seen them jump on a bandwagon of, of a trend of what was going on and then it was on to the next trend or something like that. And this person said, but there was Glenn preaching the word year after year, Sunday after Sunday. That is vital. And it's important. And I appreciate that of coming to a congregation that has a taste for the word, has a desire for the word, is expecting to hear from the word. And, and I just want to say good job. Yeah, absolutely. God's truth is meant to have its way with us as a congregation. So when we allow God's gospel truth to dwell in us richly, as parents, we see our children's experiences, we see the opportunities that we have in light of what God wants to teach them about himself. We want to share God's truth with our family. We want to grow in our understanding of him together. Our, come, our children come to church knowing who God is, knowing some of the truth. Our children deal with life asking themselves the question, God, where are you in this situation? Because they know he's there. Because they know he has a plan. Because they know he's great enough and he's good enough to deal with that situation, to be at home in that situation, to be at a place in that situation where they can also look at that situation and say, God, what you want from this is what I want. And they get that from us, parents. We start valuing different things than we valued before. We come to church ready to praise him. Not necessarily needing the, the worship team to, to work us up into something. But we come ready to respond. Remember that definition of worship? Responding to God for what he has revealed about himself. And a lot of times when we come to church and we're just like, okay, come on. Get me going, you know, something like that. It's because we don't come to church ready to respond because God's truth has not been able to make its home within us during the week. It's a simple fact. Second idea here, and that first idea is big, you know, it's longer, it's laying it down, don't worry, it's, we're not going to go too long here, but... God's truth must reign in our relationships with, either, with each other. These two commands here of teaching and admonishing flow off of what it means for God's word to dwell among us. Uh, to, to teach one another is to share God's truth with each other. It's to share, this is what God is teaching me. To admonish one another is to share God's truth for a purpose. It could be to encourage. It could be to see a brother or sister in Christ that, um, that needs encouragement and just to remind them, hey, 
you know what, God's big enough for this. God's in this. God's with you. It can be to, to rebuke. It could be to say, hey, what are you doing? Don't you know God's, God's not in this? God's, God's, God's not going to be a part of this if this is what's in your life. To admonish is to be sharing with what God has been teaching us with a purpose. And the idea here is this is a living out of God's allowing God's truth to dwell among us as we gather together as a congregation. It's, it's how do we do this? By sharing with one another what God is teaching us. And that is what, part of what it looks like for it to dwell and to have its way among us. It's not looking for opportunities to bestow wisdom on each other. In reality, when he goes into singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, this is actually um, playing out then what it means to teach and admonish one another. This partly is because in the early church, not everybody was taking God's word home with them. And so they were singing scriptures. They were singing doctrine. They were singing to teach one another. They were singing to remind one another. The songs that they took home with them were their teaching. It was their truth. And so this idea of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs was flowing out of this idea of teaching and admonishing one another. Two ideas that come from this. We have a responsibility of ministering to each other. And we're able to do that better when God's word has been ministering to us. So we come together not just to hear, not just to, to get a buzz or something like that. We come together in order to minister to each other. This can be done at church on Sunday morning as we gather together. It could be done, it should be done in our small groups as we get together, sharing from our lives, um, you know, sharing from what we've learned from uh, the book that we might be focusing on or something like that. This very verse, I want you to know, is a major part of the philosophy of Harvest. In its founding, was that it be a place where God's people minister to each other. The idea of letting God's word, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another. This is a value of harvest. That you as God's people would be equipped to minister to one another. The other idea that flows out of this is that our ministry to each other must be governed by God's truth. It must be governed by God's truth. What we say, what we do for each other, it, we want to look at it and understand, am I doing what Christ would be doing? Am I saying what Christ would be saying? You know, one thing that we talk about in our small group uh, for parents of teenagers, sometimes it's hard to remove ourselves from the situation. And the question that we wanted to bat around was, what would God say? What would, what would if, if God was dealing with us and we were dealing with the same issue, what would God be speaking to us? What would God say to Joe Blow on the street that might be dealing with this issue? Try to step away from our fears, step away from our concerns for that moment and ask ourselves, what would, what would God speak into my child's life? And we should be asking ourselves this 
as we come together as a congregation. And we should know each other. We should know what each other is going through. Again, small groups is a great place for this. But again, this is why we, we take a break. Okay, everybody's here now. Good. Now let's take a break. Catch up with each other. You know, and that's, that's a value of harvest. You who grew up having to get everything right the first time, this is probably really intimidating. What I mean by that is maybe, maybe you had somebody in your life that it was like, you didn't get it right the first time and, it, and you got ridiculed for it or um, you, you faced punishment for it or you, you, um, you got told, that's not right, what are you talking about? So this is really intimidating to hear our words with each other should be the words of Christ. What we do with each other should be what Christ would do. This would, this would be really intimidating, but I want you to know, God is not like that. God is not like that in the sense that we're supposed to get this right the first time. You know, there's a lot of times where we come away from a conversation where we're like, yeah, that's not what Christ would have said. That's not what Christ would have done. As we grow, what we say and we do looks more and more like what Christ would say and would do. This is one of those horizon issues. This is the goal on the horizon. That as we move forward, it just seems to keep going away further and further. And we'll never get there until we are in God's presence. But this is what should govern our conversations and what we do and how we interact with each other. What would Christ say? What would Christ do for my brother or for my sister here? He says that we want to do this with all wisdom. We should pray for the right words to say at the right time. We should make as a part of our prayer to the Lord during the week, Lord, will you help me with, my, with the body at harvest to be Christ to them? to say what Christ would say, to do what Christ would do. And Lord, receive from the body at harvest your ministry, what you would say, what you would do. Would you allow us as a body at harvest to let the word of Christ dwell among us richly in how we interact with each other, to, for that to govern what Christ would say, what Christ has done, to govern our our relationship with each other. Let me give you a hint though. If you're always dispensing wisdom, you may need to bench yourself for a while. <laughs> I struggle with that. That I've got my wife next to me. I thank the Lord that she'll kick me under the table sometimes. <laughs> Let other people speak. <laughs> you know, eventually something's going to come out that's not all wisdom. And it does. It may be you're intimidating others. It may be nobody's listening anymore. But we want what we do and what we say. We want to pray that it would be with all wisdom. And Paul's kind of taken a shot at these false teachers that have told the Colossians, oh, if you come away and learn from us, you, you'll dive deeper and gain wisdom. Paul's saying... What you do and what you say with each other, if God's word is dwelling within you, it could be with all wisdom. It's, a, it's there for you. There's no special level of Christianity that you've got to reach in order to, to 
be wisely interacting with each other. And it's not necessarily even about the amount of the scriptures that you know. Catch this. It's your submitting to them. It's your open heart. Lord, my words, what I do, they're yours. I want you to govern them. Notice it doesn't say, let the word of Christ fill you. But let it be at home. Let it have its way. Submit yourself to it. Surrender yourself to it. And it should affect the fellowship, the time that we spend together. So the third idea here is that God's truth must reign in our worship and in our praise. Um, you know, as I said before, the songs that the early church would, t- would sing to each other, these songs were to teach one another. Have you ever noticed that some of the songs we sing are singing to the Lord and some of them are sung to each other? How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. You know, and, and we, we have kind of a mix of that. But a lot of those, we are singing them to each other. We're inc- seeking to encourage each other with those. And think about that as you worship. Think about the fact that, that I'm being sung to by my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm singing to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what the early church would do. They would sing to one another the doctrine, the truth that they would have. I want, to, I want you to notice here, when it says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, these are not like categories that we need to make sure that we have. It's, this is a broad range. Spiritual songs would have described both psalms and hymns. And there's other f- forms of songs in the, from the early church and from the Old Testament that, wouldn't have, that, that don't fit into these categories, but they would have been sung by the early church as well. He's just giving a broad range of what you sing, let it be, this is an example of the word of Christ dwelling among you. Let it be true, let it be true to God's word, let it be an opportunity to just sink the truth of who he is into each other's hearts even more is what he's saying. He's just an example of this is us ministering to one another with God's truth as we come together. There's a strong aspect here that he describes that the gospel should be impacting what we sing. And I, and I want to point this out when he says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is actually two separate phrases Use some big words here. These are two separate phrases that are modifying singing. Okay, for the verb singing, these are two separate phrases. It looks like if you were to diagram this, with thankfulness would be modifying singing and in your hearts to God would be modifying thankfulness, right? Where's the thankfulness? It's in my hearts. But these two separate phrases of with thankfulness and in your hearts to God are both modifying singing, okay? Being an expositional preacher, this is letting God's word dictate how I teach. So I want to just point out, there's two ideas here. One, thankfulness is actually in grace. There's another word for thankfulness that he uses. Thankfulness is described three times in these, in these verses that we've been looking at. Um, and the other words, it uses the word eucharisto, 
But here it uses as a word ingrati. The word in, which would be in. Ingrati. Uh, and this is grace. And in other words, the songs that we sing to one another should be an outflow of the grace that we've received from God in our gospel relationship with God. And so as we come, having been recipients of God's grace, this grace should flow out in the songs that we sing with one another. It should be an outflow, and we are gracing one another with our worship because God has graced us with his saving truth. But this should also be something that's flowing from our hearts. Now we tend to look at worship as, okay, God, give me something. But this is a response to God's grace and it is to be flowing out of our hearts. Um, Let me explain this. Well, the result is singing from our hearts to God. A lot of times we'll use the word, we want to enter in. And this is what it means to, to have entered in. It's to enter into God's grace and let it flow out of us. I really want to go to John 4 here. I promise to be short, but we won't be as short as I was was hoping. But let me give you a picture of this, okay? Let me give you a picture of worship. Since we're on worship here, Jesus is speaking to the woman on the well, at the well, John 4, 24. And he says to her, God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. An object lesson here to, to, to help you understand this is that you've got two aspects here that are new on the scene. He says earlier in the verse before this, the time is coming and now is when those who worship God will worship in spirit and in truth. And this, the context of this is they're talking about temple worship and Jesus is directing her to the fact that I have come, God's spirit is present on the earth, the Holy Spirit is going to be given to us and temple worship is going to be Uh, negated because of this. And he describes this as God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And there's an object lesson that helped me to better understand this. And it was that our spirit is like a furnace. Okay? Some of you have a wood-burning stove at home. Our spirit is like a wood-burning stove. And the truth is the fuel that goes in that. And the worship is is the light and the heat, the radiance that comes from that furnace. And this, this is something we take for granted, but this was something new that Jesus was informing the Samaritan woman of. So our worship is a result of the truth, the fuel being consumed within us. So to better understand verse 16 through this, We are called to let the truth dwell in us. This is our fuel for worship. Our life worship and our worship of praise is meant to result from God's truth dwelling within us and fueling what it is that we what we do together as a congregation. And so that is what it means that that singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in the grace that you've received from your hearts. Do you hear that? The fuel of God's grace from your hearts, from your spirit. 
This worship flows from within us when we have been impacted from God's grace, by God's grace that's been revealed in his truth. You are impacted, you are reminded of God's grace when you're filling yourself with his truth. To be able to enter into worship, you cannot enter into worship if the fuel of God's truth has not entered into you. And so when we come together, we worship so much better when we come having interacted with God's truth, having interacted with Him and His truth during the week. It's simply that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. And we have the opportunity, having digested God's truth, to respond to Him in worship. I want to close with a little post that was in the uh, Sunday School banner from years ago when the agnostic Robert Ingersoll died. Uh, His funeral notice, within his funeral notice, this was printed, there will be no singing. And the Sunday School banner wrote this, look not for hymns, anthems, oratios, carols, and spiritual songs among the agnostics or skeptics. Without God, without Christ, without redemption, without a divine revelation and without hope, what have they to sing about? We have much to sing about. Let's do that.
Stay, I'll praise you. 